and welcome to Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Alexandra. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I were aspiring writers with one simple problem. We never actually took the time to sit down and write. Mm -hmm. So to solve this issue, we are issuing a challenge. Each week you sit down and write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, we read a story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then we talk about the rest of the story sent in by you wonderful listeners. Exactamundo, we're simply here to help you do the right thing. Doof, uh, doof media, media production. production. Um, hell, hell to the yeah. I love the stories that we got this week. We got... um. Uh, uh, another we got story. Ample stories. This yeah, week. yeah. We got another story from uh, Sentient Pebble, who had just joined us, and a story from Niall Supernum, who we haven't seen in a long time. We're so glad to have you back. Um, yeah, welcome back. Yeah, and there were some really great twists and, and turns in the stories this week, so I enjoyed them a lot. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I can't wait to actually get into it and uh, talk about these six stories that that we have. But I guess before that, how are we doing? I'm doing hot, doing sexy, doing, doing, I'm fine. How are you? Nice. <laughs> doing hot and doing sexy. Doing hot, doing I sexy. I am doing, I am doing great. I'm doing cute and I'm doing cold. Uh, mm. So yeah, I've been, uh, been vibing, vibing. Uh, the vibes are immaculate over here in Denton, Texas, uh, mm-hmm. right next to UNT, the world's greatest music college. It actually is. Did you know that? That we're literally like the top jazz college in the world? Oh, okay. I, I thought we were just like one of the top. Like No, no. We are, are the best jazz college in the world. Wow. That's yeah. great. Wild. It's hear. it's wild because I, d- I didn't know that until someone told me. Because, yeah, and also it's yeah. such a, like, Denton is such a weird location. Yeah, for yeah. just like the I mean, top of anything. I mean, it's a pretty good. It's like a, a, a hub, at least in in Texas, of uh, of music, just in general. Like we have a lot mm-hmm, of indie yeah. bands that come out of our area, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, a lot, a lot of house house shows and all that. Wait till the um, what is it? The Homewreckers and the Bedwetters? Is that the name of the band? Something like that? Yes. Something in the Bedwetters. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I don't. I've heard them. I don't remember which band they were that night, but I have heard them. Um, mm, yeah, I. I actually think were they at the house show last night? No, I don't. I, don't, I wasn't I don't at a house so. show last night, so oh, I wouldn't sorry. know, Jarvis. I was personally. Okay. Um, I did go to yeah. a little kickback thing that I want to talk about because it was an experience. Okay, sure. Okay. Tell us. So. <laughs> So uh, it was a it was a hot tub party thing. Okay, it was very oh, cold, no. which was a bad idea. No, it, it was fine. It's just that we we drank a lot. Um, there everything was fine. There was just a lot of cis het boys that were very weird, and just just I I can't. I just okay. So number one, <laughs> I got I got three things. I got three little things. Okay, okay, uh, and I'll finish off with the weirdest one. Uh, so the first few are about uh, misgendering stuff, which is, okay, like, I don't actually, I'm not hurt by misgendering, actually. Like, I am very lucky that that doesn't actually, like, impact myself. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm not actually trying to pass or anything. Um, so that doesn't bother me so much. But I'm just saying, when someone shows up to a hot tub party in essentially a bikini, right, in a mm. in a... A two-piece, a, a top and volleyball shorts, right? And eyeliner and makeup and shit. I'm just saying 
don't you feel like maybe you would ask what the, <laughs> yeah. what their pronouns are? Like just, yeah. just maybe maybe it's like not entirely certain. Maybe like he him isn't just the default that you should use in that situation. I just like I yeah you know did they not even ask or like, no question no it? no one asked they just they just say he and shit. I was like that's fine. Just you y'all are dumb. Y'all are just dumb. Um and <laughs> clearly don't know how to handle like talking to a queer person at all anyway and then the second thing which was even just just worse this was annoying uh so i go i leave the room i go to the bathroom i come back and uh this one guy has just talked to my friend who uh obviously said something about you know that i'm non-binary and stuff right and so he goes to me and uh this this random guy who's very drunk not that drunk though and he goes um Hey man, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I just want to let you know that I call like everyone dude and man and stuff. So, and I was like interrupting. I was like, I I don't care. I that does not <laughs> matter to me. I didn't ask you to apologize. I don't care. And I'm trying to say I don't care, except he keeps talking over me. He keeps talking mm. over me and going, "It's important to me. It's important to me." It's important to me until I sh- finally shut up and let him do his weird apology thing. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, he's not, he didn't stop. He just, he was just saying. He's kept that, going. That's, yeah, he, no, he just, he, his apology was not, hey, I'm sorry that I did that. I will now stop. It was, it's important to me that you know that I'm when I don't stop doing this, it's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah, he's not yeah, he's not going to change his behavior at all. So he yeah, just wants so me to not so, be mad so at him. So he's not saying saying sorry for misgendering. Really, he's just saying, yeah, I call everyone dude, dude. Yeah, yeah. I didn't ask you to stop. You're just telling me that I shouldn't be mad at you if I am because you don't mean anything by it or something. Like like mm-hmm. you're not going to change your behavior, but it's okay because you think it's okay. It's yeah. wild. I, I, what? God, Why? Yeah, I that didn't, is a lot. I, I did not, I did not ask for this at all. <laughs> I just went in the bathroom. Anyway. Yeah, God. Um, the worst, the worst one, worst section though, worst thing, uh, was, so, uh, it was later on, uh, four of the boys go upstairs because they're drunk and there's a gym upstairs and they want to yeah. fuck around in the gym, right? And, you know, I wander up there, too. Whatever. I was talking to one of them at the time. And there's a training dummy there. And so they start practicing their kicks on the training dummy. Keep in mind that this is not their house, also. This is this is a friend's parent's house. And they're just going to fuck around. Whatever. It's fine. So they start pass- uh, practicing their kicks. And they're, like, being ridiculous. They're, like, one of them does... How do you pronounce it? A mai, Muay Thai? Mai Thai? Whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, um, uh, Muay Thai. Sure. I know how it's spelled. I know how to pronounce it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, you know, talking a big game about how he knows how to do kicks. And one of them's of karate. So they're both doing their kicks. And they're being kind of hilarious because they're like, oh, you do, you do it like this. You got you to gotta like swing your arm back. Yeah. You got to do it like this. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of the boys kicks it, breaks his foot or whatever. He was like injured the rest of the night. Really? Um, oh my yeah, God. yeah. Well, to be fair, he was not the one claiming that he does Mai Tai or whatever. Oh, um, okay. 
But anyway, one of them gets really into hitting it. So he like kicks it and he knocks it over and he, he brings it up again. He kicks it and he punches it a couple times. He kicks it and it falls on the ground. And this time he like sits down on it and he like pins it down, right? This training dummy. He's pummeling it. He's getting really into it. This rage is going. And then yeah. he, he thrusts at it a couple times. Like, oh. like he goes from punching it to like hip thrust. Yeah, to, to like grinding on it, to humping this training dummy. And I was just, I get, what, what do you, what do you do when you see that happen? So I just, I just left. I was like, yeah. I can't handle this. <laughs> uh, I left. I, I, so I went down and I told the, uh, the, the host, I was like, hey, you know, it's no big deal. Um, just the boys are upstairs, uh, fucking your training dummy because I just couldn't, I, what? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so, so, and she was just like, oh, I don't know what to do with that, but thank you for telling me. And apparently the next day she, like, confronted the guy, uh, or was talking about it, and, um, she interpreted it as, like, they were actually having sex with a dummy, which is more than was oh, actually happening. No. Um, so he, you <laughs> know, he, yeah, so he defended himself. He was like, no, it wasn't that. I just I just grinded on it a little or whatever. I, was like, <laughs> I wasn't around, but it's just like, how how's that? How? That's not better, really. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe, maybe it's a little bit maybe better. Maybe don't but... thrust things. You yeah, know? yeah. He was in the middle of a, of a rage, testosterone rage. Mm-hmm. And that this rage why... turned into horny real quick. Yeah, yeah. This is why he got rid of my uh, testosterone. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you uh, you uh, flush it down uh, down the uh, toilet. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. um, I've been purging it for a while. I take From your uh, system, yes. yeah, I got I got a bunch of acne. That was the testosterone. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but see, that's the like double edged sword, right? Because it sucks. Because yeah, those are the adverse uh, effects. You know, typically, um, probably I wouldn't say always, but typically maybe a bit of uh, aggression. When it comes to this hormone, but uh, with this hormone, you build killer muscles. Mm-hmm. You know that is true. So, so it's like, hey, do I want to be angry and punch fuck things, or do I want to not be that, but not be muscular mm-hmm. and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Um, yeah, I took the I took the latter option. Uh, mm. I'm just gonna. I don't don't wanna actually. Anyway, so that was that was uh, the weekend before. That was what I did. That was my fun experience. Yeah, that was your entire weekend. Well, that seems fun. That seems like a great story that you can write down. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. My memoir will go in there. Uh, sorry if you hear planes in the background, by the way. The Blue Angels are practicing overhead, and they've been doing that all week, and it's kind of been really what? annoying. Yeah, the... That's kind of dope. I, I mean, I guess... I don't know. I don't... I mean, it's cool when they're flying in formation, but it's mostly just, like, a loud noise that comes by every couple minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know, they have to train uh, if a red a red dawn ever happened. You're right. And then they can do <laughs> flips and stunts so they can go inside of the uh, the UFO and dodge all the lasers and stuff. Whoa. Have you seen Red Dawn? <laughs> No, I was talking about uh, I was referencing like Independence Day more. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 what I thought, and okay. I was like, "Huh, 
similar movies, same same year. I think they came out a very similar year. Um, different concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. But th- but it's good to know that if um, anything happens, you'll be safe unless they catastrophically fuck up and crash into your house. But Yeah, that would be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. But speaking of huge planes in the sky, Flying overhead and causing a lot of noise. Uh-huh. Um, this is a this is a podcast that we do where we talk about uh, stories that people submit. Okay, um, and we read one live on the podcast, don't we? Um, yeah, that's yep. Uh huh. Yep. So um, I think we should probably talk about that, right? Um, Sh- sure. Yeah. So I I think you know you know I think. The story that uh, we are going to be reading about this week is by Nile Supernum with The Land of the Gods. And thank you so much for coming back to us. <laughs> yes, um, with your wonderful story about the Blue Angels and fighter planes and stuff. Yes, um, yes. That's a joke. There's no... I mean, maybe all the characters are fighter planes, actually. This, yeah, it, yeah. It, uh, it doesn't it say that they're like not. A, like a cars situation. Yeah. It does say that a character has boots in, like, the second paragraph, but... Yeah, but boots can also be a boot on a car. You're so... You're so right. All right. Um, okay, I'm going to read <laughs> Niall Superman's wonderful story, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, and then we'll talk about the listener uh, Smith stories. All right, let's get into it. So, the story by Niall Supernum is The Land of the Gods. The road from the village of Kazbad to the Gateway Temple was long but easily traveled. By dusk, Brother Brother Ope found himself at the steps leading up to the temple. He emptied the sand from his boots and shook the dust from his cloak before entering. Through the great wooden doors, the air was surprisingly cool. The interior of the temple was dim, lit only by torchlight, with a floor and walls of stone. Upon his entry, several acolytes approached and took his pack and traveling traveling cloak. Brother Ope approached the apse, where the keeper of the temple stood at an altar. Seeing his arrival, the keeper retrieved a censer and prepared for the sacrament. Brother Ope kneeled before the altar, and then the keeper anointed him with oil. Tell me of your mission, the keeper said. Brother Ope responded, I healed many sick in the village of Phila. I aided the village of Clemaste in in fighting a blight that ruined their harvest. I healed many sick in the village of Masre. I negotiated an end to the conflict between the Dakta and Nesca tribes. These deeds Brother Ope recounted without modesty, but neither with excessive pride. The keeper listened solemnly, then nodded once Brother Ope had finished. Why seek ye entry to the land of the gods? The keeper asked. Brother Ope responded, to petition for divine aid on behalf of the coastal villages. The waters rise each year, and if it continues unabated, 
many of these villages will have to be abandoned within a generation. I would see these lands saved, and these people permitted to remain in the lands of their ancestors. The keeper nodded. Arise, brother, and be welcomed in this place. Brother Ope rose. The keeper's austerity gave way to a kind smile. My friend, the keeper of the Dividend Temple sent word ahead of your arrival. He tells me you are the holiest man he has ever met. Brother Ope's knees weakened at his praise, at this praise, but did not buckle. He was overcome with joy and grew tearful. The keeper reached out and clasped his hand. I know you are weary from the road and must rest before you set out tomorrow, but I would be honored if you would join me in my prayers tonight. Brother Ope was humbled by this and joined the keeper at the altar. After the conclusion of the sacraments, Brother Ope found himself in the keeper's residence enjoying a meal and the warmth of the hearth. After the conclusion of the sacraments, Brother... Keeper, he asked, is there any knowledge you may impart to me to, pre to better prepare me for the journey to the land of the gods? The keeper sat across from him, the light from the hearth dancing across his bald head and wizened features. What do you know of the land of the gods? Very little, Brother Ope admitted. I asked the keeper of the coast temple and the keeper of the dividend temple, but they said they could tell me nothing. It is well that they said so, intoned the keeper. Knowledge, like stone, is weathered by travel and time. It would be changed by the journey from here to the dividend temple, as surely as you have been changed by your journey from there to here. The keeper stood from his seat and sat down in the rocking chair beside the fire, facing Brother Ope. Much of the knowledge of the gods is too holy to reside in mortal minds. I know only what has been passed on to me by the keeper before me, that which was passed on to him by the keeper before him, and so on, through spoken tradition, since time immemorial. Brother Ope leaned forward. Please, tell me what you can, keeper. If I am to meet the gods, I must be prepared. The keeper rocked back and forth for a long moment. Then he began to speak. As you know, land of the gods is too holy for most mortals to walk upon. Only the holiest of men, only the purest of heart and mind, may enter and live. Brother Ope nodded and waited for the keeper to continue. It is known that those who enter without pure mind are cleansed and fall dead upon the spot. It is known that even those who survive the divinity of the land itself must still face trials in order to obtain audience with the gods. I cannot say what trials await you. I can only say that all the trials you have faced up to now will be as a stroll through a garden. Brother Ope's face hardened into a grim resolve, and he nodded once more. I will tell you the name of the god who resides there of the god who rules there, whose name is too sacred to be uttered except in the holiest of places. The keeper leaned forward in his chair and whispered, He is called Adam. He is the creator and the destroyer, 
and has the power to remake the world. Hearing this name, Brother Ope left his seat and knelt at the feet of the keeper. The latter placed his hand upon the former's head. You are ready, the keeper announced. Rest well and depart at dawn. As the first light of the sun bathed the world in orange radiance, Brother Ope set out upon the path toward the land of the gods. This path, unlike the one he had trodden to arrive at the gateway temple, was well kept. The ground was swept, and all along the trail were arrangements of blossoms which did not naturally grow in this land. As the path wound gently uphill, the blossoms gave way to stone plinths plated with iron. Upon these plinths, Brother Ope knew, were prayers and exaltations written in the language of the gods. That language was too holy for mortals to comprehend, and all knowledge of it had been lost long ago. In spite of this, he knew, one of the most important duties of the keeper of the gateway temple was to keep these inscrutable markings pristine so that they might be preserved for all time. As he came to the first plinth, he genuflected and stared long at the markings. Perhaps, he hoped, he would receive some revelation as to what they conveyed. When no epiphany came, he arose and continued his procession. This is not a place of honor. No highly esteemed deed is commemorated here. Nothing is valued here. At each plinth he passed, Brother Ope genuflected and sat a while in prayer. What is here was dangerous and repulsive to us. This message is a warning about danger. Just as every footfall brought him closer to the land of the gods, every prayer brought him closer to the transcendent divinity of Adam. The danger, the danger is still present in your time as it was in ours. As the trail crested a hill, Brother Ope was greeted with an awesome sight. Great iron pillars reaching out of the ground toward the heavens. The contrast with the surrounding landscape was stark and magnificent. The danger is to the body and it can kill. Around the base of each pillar, metal was woven and wrought into intricate patterns and lattices, the likes of which mortal art could not hope to approach. Brother Ope was filled with reverence for the gods as he approached. The form of the danger is an emanation of energy. Between the tallest of these pillars, a great metal banner arched above him. It bore the same inscrutable script as the plinths. Beneath this arch, Brother Ope fell to his knees and bowed thrice. Waste isolation pilot plant. Danger. Poisonous radioactive material. After casting one last look at the world behind him, Brother Ope stepped forward into the land of the gods and prepared to meet his maker. Well, all right, all right. This is a really good story. I um, love not only the diction of, of this piece that uh, reminds me a, a lot of um, theological texts. Um, I it, 
did, I really just enjoy the um, the world building hap- happening here. I like how a lot of the lore of of this world is imparted in a way that does not feel too expositiony. Uh, this this story does follow a very natural per excuse me a very natural progression that as we follow the the journey of a brother a brother Ope when he goes and um talks to this other priest that uh, guides them on his uh, on their way. Um, we get to slowly learn more and more about this this world, which does a fantastic job job of drawing us deeper in uh, deeper into it. Um, and I really like this this concept of um, going into the, into the land of 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 the gods and some of the um, messaging that that is in in parts that is imparted seems uh, technological in in uh, aspect. So it really feels like there's there's this not uh, there's this nice meeting of a sort of like tech future um, in a re and a religious uh, spiritual past that I think is really working well in, in in tandem within this this story, um, and of course the 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 description of this is unremarkable. I um you mean I, it is um, remarkable? Yes, it is remarkable. Uh, I really do like the the moment when um, they they finally do get to I guess the gate to the land of of the gods and they're um, de- describing these the, these pillars as um, awesome and how uh, human art can can only wish to um, reach that that status. So yeah, this this some um, stories is filled with a lot of really great texture, a, a lot of really great de- de- description. Um, but it does stay really close to the whole point of of this uh, story, which is the journey of uh, bro- of Brother Ope. So really liked it. Yeah. Um, so to be clear, so the um, I, I I really like the the twist that's going on here, um, uh-huh. which is uh, these messages being um, that revealing that this is actually not a fantasy story. This is actually uh, a post apocalypse story. This is post. Uh-huh. Uh, the destruction of our modern civilization, um, and then going to this radio um, radioactive material uh, yeah. waste very, um, location, very Horizon Zero Dawn esque. Yeah, yeah, which I haven't played, but it, uh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah. The the whole thing with um, yeah, now Serge Benham, uh expands upon, and I'm sure many of the audience already know of the lines that were said here, where basically. Um, the Sandia National Labs um, program to try to find a message to prevent people from going to these radioactive waste uh, locations mm. um, in the future because um, they just want to make sure that, like, if you just say keep out, you know, people are going to want to go in there, right? Um, so, like, it's important to say, like, nothing is valued here and this sort of thing. Um, sorry, I thought I missed a line. I did not. Um yeah, so, I mean, one thing that I think is unfortunate about the the twist is, I think, uh, at least for me, the very first line, the, f- the first reveal of that, the, this place is not a place of honor, that alone was enough to clue me in on exactly what was going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this, just this difficulty of, like, you are telling the story in English, right? And you want the audience to understand this phrase that is English, but the character doesn't. So how do you... Um, how do you carry that across, right? How do you reveal something that the character doesn't know when you're kind of in their perspective? And I think that is something that um, does 
make the twist a little bit more i think it still works really well especially because it, this is like drawn out it's not just like one little message it's just as brother ope goes more and more into danger right um we're reminded over and over and it, it just mm-hmm. like increases the feeling of danger um like I really do like the escalation in the lines. I don't know if that's the original ter- order that they're in or not, but I think it's well placed, right? Saying it's dangerous, the danger is still present, danger can kill, it's energy, yeah. Um, I do wonder if perhaps there could have been um, a little bit of like suspicion for us as we go through it, just only uh, in a sign like showing a radioactive symbol but describing it in a way that uh, makes us just a little bit suspicious right um without revealing it like for example i don't know exactly what the modern radioactive symbol is but mm-hmm. like the uh three you know triangles pointing at a skull for example mm, um yeah. or something else that like makes the audience think oh it's that kind of Sounds like a radioactive symbol, or at the very least, when they read the "This is not a place of honor" or the radioactive material, that they think back to that symbol and they're like, "Oh, that's what that was, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think this is really, really cool, and um, I think it does a, a good job of like, even though the twist is kind of uh, done like at once uh, from that first line, I think the like increasing sort of dread is we're like, "Ah, oh, shit, he's not gonna make it out, and there's nothing in here." worth anything mm-hmm. um this sucks too bad brother ope what a tragedy yeah, too bad so sad yeah i mean also i think like one one big thing that i think we, we do have to to mention is that this month is the twist month so we are going into these stories um expecting a a, a twist so i think um our receptors will probably be a, a lot more sensitive when it does come to to lines like that because we are expecting a, a, a twist towards the end so we're looking for for clues to it um but yeah i mean i think the the twist worked really well within this story i do uh agree that um the tension that was being built as the as a brother as brother ope got got closer and and, and closer was really great and i would not change that but yeah maybe um so a few of the hints in the beginning did sort of pull me uh, away from what I initially thought thought this uh, this story was, which a which was a more uh, fan was more of a fantasy world to a more to more of a uh, to more of a sci-fi one, um, which I think is really fine. I think um, really crossing over that that uh, threshold is a hard thing to to do, um, and yeah, it it did happen. S- suddenly but i didn't really mind that too much because by by that point we were all we were already sort of getting a a feel for how this, this world works and is built up so it just sort of adds further for uh, for me to this um world world building um so yeah i think uh also one one thing that um i would have maybe liked like to to see is um the motivation for brother uh, for brother brother ope like the exact reason as to why being in the land of the gods is important to them. I mean, I, I'm in in my reading. I am chalking it up to it fulfilling some sort of religious practice, maybe. Well, but I'm again not sure. No, I I mean I think it says it pretty explicitly. 
Um, there's the part where, I mean, it's pretty early on where uh, the Keeper asks what his mission is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, like, the things that he did, and the Keeper asks, why yeah. do you want entry? And he says, to petition for divine aid for the coastal villages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, in, in retrospect, is because of uh, global warming, right? The the water's rising, mm-hmm. and they yes. can no longer live in the land of their ancestors. Um, so, uh, which I think, I, I mean, IRL, it would probably be, like, done at that point. Like, the yeah. water's be as risen as day. That would be the first thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, that doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's still, like, I made the connection of, oh, that's what that was after I, I got to the twist. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So, yeah, I guess it... It really just does beg the the question for for me, like if no one makes it out of this place uh, yeah. alive, I'm 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 wondering as to why it's still a um, why it's still a thing to to go to the to the land of uh, of the gods to request aid, uh, holy aid, when no one does come back from this place. Um, yeah, but you know. It- uh, Again, when it does when it does come to re religion, the uh, typical co- uh, cop out is faith. You know. Yeah, yeah. What I would um, it it seems like it would be really easy to fix of just having a line of like no one has, um, no one in our generation has entered and and left right mm. because uh, I mean he does say that Brother Ope is like the most holy man that uh or that the um the keeper of the temple. The Evident Temple, I forget which one it, it was, but the that one said that Brother Ope is the most holy man he met, which means that, like, oh, maybe he actually does have a chance, right? Where everyone else's generation was not holy enough, Brother Ope might be, um, except he he won't be either. Um, and, it like, even if, um, you know, they have stories of people entering and, and magic happening, you know, those are stories and they might not be true. True, yeah. True, true, true. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and then that that's just a testament to how this this story, even if you know, of course, it was written in 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 thirty minutes and is short in 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 length, does have that that layer of like depth to it that I'm that I do really um in enjoy from this uh, this story. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do wonder. Um, one more thing about the the like twist. Uh, I think one reason that it. I don't know, uh, felt like it's just that there's a di- that difficulty of how to present something um, through narration that the character can't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I would say is that maybe like the perspective of the story kind of feels like it's rather limited in Brother Ope's perspective, right? But if it was like I don't know. I don't know how to make it more clear. Uh, like, I, I feel like what exactly this point of view is is a little ambiguous. So I'm not saying that it is necessarily specifically limited to Brother Ope, but it felt a little bit that way. Um, but if it was like a objective uh, third person, right? Like a, you know, that camera view, right? Where yeah. it's, there's that distance of like, we're not narrating with the um thoughts of the characters right or if it was third person omniscient perhaps um or otherwise like having some way that the audience knows that the perspective the narration is not in brother ope's head is not in the language of these characters right yeah then i think it would land uh, a little easier the fact that we the reader know what these words are and brother ope does not Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah. Um, 
Which I think the perspective being being chosen does um, lend us a sense of closeness to bro- uh, Brother Opie, which I do like. But yeah, that is very true that if the camera was to pull back a, a bit more, um, the reader will... I guess realize where where they sit versus brother brother Ope, so that we can um, per, perceive his his uh, actions from a distance, so that like as he is walking into this danger, we are mm-hmm. fully well uh, aware of it. Um, yeah, because we have our our own version of of the reading versus what his perception is. Yeah, like if uh, this is just a you know random thought for example if like there was a camera at the um inside the the temple right and it just says like the observer saw brother ope um you know walking up the path right and stopping at each sign and then it reads out the sign to us then Mm -hmm. there would be that understanding of oh he really doesn't know or uh, some other ways that people do this sort of thing is um they do put the text in there they just muddle it up so it makes sense that the the character would not understand either like just putting it into like the syllables that it that it is and making it so if like you sound it out you know what it says that sort of simulating the character not knowing what the language is right but we do uh because it's just english just spelled weird um or another way of um doing that would just be to Maybe he does, maybe there are some understandings of some of the words, but not enough. Um, and so we're just kind of grasping at the meaning until we finally connect it to, you know, emanation of energy or whatever, right? Or something like that, where we're just like, that's the part that he doesn't know. Um, or that's the part that he can't connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, just some ideas of, mm-hmm. of how some people might... Um, go around this sort of thing but i still think it, it works really well uh like this yeah i mean i mean definitely what uh based off what is currently on the the page it is not only effective but it it also um does a great job as i said before of really drawing you in to the story um i i was never curious as to where we we were the story is very very grounded within its own world which is a um, skill within itself and it's and it's definitely a challenge that the, I've seen even um, uh, even uh, intermediate writers have a have a problem with so uh, that's, sure. that's very great I'm very proud of you for that <laughs> yeah yeah um, okay let's get into the listener submitted story section yes 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 so uh, the listener submitted story section is the best section for you and me um, so <laughs> So, uh, the stories we will be reading uh, from this week are by Sarah Penguin, Ghost Pac-Man 4, Matt Set Words, Jarby Jazz, and Sentient Pebble. Alright, let's get into it. Uh, What's the name of Sarah Penguin's story? It is, I Think You Reap What You Sow. Yes. Okay. Um, So, we have these two characters. They're uh, priestesses um, in this temple. They... Um, you know, they're like putting flowers together. So we kind of tell it's like a peaceful sort of place. Um, villagers burst into the temple uh, seeking shelter because their uh, farm is under attack. It's burning. And so the uh, priestesses go to the goddess that they have there, a goddess of harvest and fertility. Um, and they reveal uh, sort of an undercurrent of this goddess 
with uh, a leech and they do like a little blood sacrifice. There's a cool magical moment where the hand of the statue crumbles, which drops the scythe, uh, the sickle that it was holding, um, which then the one of the priestesses picks up and it's going to be her magical weapon, clearly um, blessed magically by the goddess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we pull back from the perspective and uh, reveal that this is actually the goddess herself looking through a mirror. And we get this sort of understanding that um, she is sort of a twisted version of a goddess. There is like a leech at her neck and it's unclear whether the leech is like controlling her or just corrupting her or if like she is as a whole just goddess plus leech. That's just her her being. Mm-hmm. Leech, um, leech god. But she... Uh, basically fades away um as her priestesses go into battle to harvest these attacking holy warriors yeah yeah so yeah this is a really cool cool story it feels like it's really setting a a lot up i wouldn't be uh surprised if, if there would be a sequel which it, which just which is just straight action um but yeah i i really do like um the world building happening here um I love the the twist of the goddess that they are getting power from and are praying to has some sort of a mal sickness happening, um, some some sort of in, infestation, which does raise a um, few questions as to um, how this will actually play out. Um, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's I'm, a couple yeah. of um, like uh, little signs as as we go through. Right, the they're like holy warriors are the ones that attack. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I, I wish that, um, the title Mother of Leeches, Devourer of Blood was, like, uh, held off until after, um, the next dialogue that they say, which is, we have served you well and given you the tainted harvest you desire. So, because yes. I read that and I was like, ooh, tainted harvest, that's kind of like, it's like normal, but not normal at all also. Mm. So if that, I don't know, there could have been like a, a little build up with that but um yeah no i, I really like the the twist as well I, the moment with the uh the sickle dropping from the statue is very cool yes really really cool mm-hmm. um yeah i <laughs> i have dreamed of the day for me to pick up a uh a uh enchanted weapon like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so yeah it, it was a really well well put off scene and i mean throughout that that entire scene there is some really great uh description uh overall um so yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, when, just... um, what I would uh, add is um, another usual thing of uh, just uh, slow down the the pacing a little bit, uh, let yeah. it breathe because there was a lot of really cool things going on. Um, but I thought that the scene was shifting a little too fast. Um, like I wanted a little bit more time with the the villagers or the moment before the villagers arrive. Um, like there's a, there's multiple little. I don't know, the set of actions, beats, I guess, story beats that I felt could have been drawn out just a little bit longer. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say if more time was, of course, uh, allowed, this this uh, beginning section of this Wire story could easily, I would say, maybe be five pages. I would I would uh, speculate. Definitely time. That's true. In, That's true. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely time in the beginning where we really get to sit with these two characters, and then we get the, the then we get the villagers come in. I I would have liked to see like, I, I guess what kind of villagers these these are like. 
you know, villagers is such a general term, and you know, typically <laughs> when, you, when you when you do think of it, you're thinking of maybe uh, people with uh, pitchforks wearing a burlap, right? Okay. Yeah. But like, is this a wealthy village? Is this mm. a merchant village? Is this a, a coastal village? How uh, complicit are they in the blood aspect of this cult? Also, yeah, exactly. Um, also, do do they know about this this like leech god? Yeah, or, which I would or, love to hear, yeah. which I think is really, really interesting, the uh, mysteries that Sarah Penguin has set up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there is a lot being being spun here. And, yeah, I mean, pretty much just on a second go, just just take your time with this story mm-hmm. uh, because it, it would be of great benefit. And I would love to uh, reread it uh, if you do choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who's the next story? Yep. So up next is by Ghost Pac-Man 4 with Guardian. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this character, Sarah. Uh, she's running away from a monster deep in these caves, and she runs to uh, this unspeaking robot uh, that kills the thing that was um, chasing her. And we sort of get her backstory um, that she was just a normal person in the United States and just appeared here in this metallic temple in these mm, caves and um yeah some sort basically um and uh she's basically at this point just been following this marching robot who does protect her but does not speak to her or really interact with her much at all um who she calls beak <laughs> and she has uh, some sort of relationship you know it's just the one thing that is not a danger and um is comforting uh mm-hmm. And, uh, but she gets sort of hit with a wave of fatigue as she remembers, like, how far she is from home. Um, but it seems like maybe Beak understands. It's it's unclear, but uh, it stops, and she's able to rest. And then we end with, um, uh, after she sleeps, Beak fo- spoke his first words. Um, yeah, so I really like the the uh, concept here. A uh, person trapped in a another world who who's having to cling on to this um, unspeaking uh, robot thing that is pro pro testing here. I think it's just a like really cool um, concept. And I think that the description here uh, serves serves the um, story really uh, really well and just. Um, establishing this sort of unspoken die uh dynamic that they do have um i would say that my favorite that my favorite moment is definitely the moment where she does um like take a a moment to really think what wow i'm so far from from home like am i going to get back home do you want to go back home and i and i think that that was like a much needed um uh a break from the uh, breakneck action of the be- beginning that um, allows us to further understand this uh, character of, of Sarah beyond just the name. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think that like, yeah, this is a really great um, entry. I, I really liked it throughout. And yeah, I'm just really, um, really loving and like wrapped up in this uh, concept of this um, guardian that's just... Uh, that she is following and just taking her to uh, whatever low uh, location he's uh, it's going to. So yeah, really, really, really great story you brought us this week. Yeah, I like the um, the conflict and the fear that Sarah is clearly uh, having. Um, yeah, I, I felt like uh, I could have used more of just like um, 
I guess just more in general. It, it does hit its beat that it needs to hit, and I think that actually is probably all it needs. I was mostly searching for something to uh, try to uh, constructively critique. <laughs> um, yeah, that's basically it. I, I do really like the idea of, of caves and mechanical labyrinths underground. I, I really enjoyed that aesthetic. Um, there's a fantasy book I read. It was called Incarceron. I don't know if it's any good. I read it as a kid, but it was the, this fascinating thing where it's uh, this whole sort of fantasy world that is inside a gigantic prison controlled by basically an AI. Um and it's like a fantasy story where they're trying to, to, to get out, but it's also the sci-fi with cyborgs and yeah, it, it was it was cool. Send that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, who is next story? Yep, so up next is by Mountain Said Words with a chance encounter. So this is uh, the series of stories with Travis in that uh, hotel with the blizzard. And in the last story, he... Um, and the, the ghost story that's going on and he went out into um, outside after hearing some really bad news kind of had to freak out um, and then a stranger uh, slapped him and gave him a hug <laughs> which he needed um, and so we pick off right where we left off with um, Travis and this bearded man named Scott having this interaction um, as they speak in the bathroom Um and uh, Scott is a writer. He's working on ghost stories. Travis is sort of uh, reflecting on himself and his, his anger a little bit. And um, But when he hears that uh, Scott is working on a book with ghost stories, he laughs because that's the whole thing, is that um, when he uh, goes into that room at the end of the night, it's going to be in that, that ghost room. Um, and so they decide to go outside and basically uh, catch each other up on uh, why they're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that the, the, that this is, is a very uh, natural kind of attenuation where, uh, from where we left off. I um, like how um, Scott seems to be very um, sympathetic and, and, and like actually trying to help Travis saying like, well, you know, I, I don't want to like overstay or like um, say too much. But, you know, I think when you are feeling bad like this is best to be with someone else which i think is a really nice nice thing for uh, scott to say and you know we get a really great sense of um what of what kind of person scott really is in such a short moment um after uh them uh exchanging punches in the uh, uh in the uh, previous story um so yeah and so yeah i just really like where this story is is building to it it's really taking its time which i which i love i, I love that we're not only spending more more time with Travis, but we're also getting this um, other character of Scott that is adding a, a different uh, dynamic to this story. And I am really wondering how Scott might might come into play uh, uh, later on when when Travis does sleep in the room. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if maybe Scott might also sleep in the uh, room, and then they might catch a uh, catch a glimpse of a ghost that uh, Scott can uh, possibly. Uh, write about or um whatever but yeah this is a nice uh con uh, attenuation i'm excited to see where it, where it keeps going yeah um i definitely when when talking about uh scott going into the to the room i was like um isn't that a bit dangerous right because uh i'm worried about him you know losing his ears which was the the whole thing with um travis being deaf and that sort of being something that that helps in that situation mm-hmm. um so, which I think is, yeah, it's an added little 
thing to worry about um, if uh, Scott uh, tried to figure out this ghost story, he's even going to survive it. Um, but I did like this uh, this addition a lot. I think uh, Matt said words reflects upon how uh, they wanted to add, uh, introduce Scott, but also like advance the plot, and they were having... Um, trouble like balancing those two things they felt that this chapter sort of slowed it down more than they wanted to Mm -hmm. um and i think that like that might be true in this series of of short stories but i don't think like in a longer book that would necessarily be a problem because we are exploring uh you know travis's uh background uh enough of the plot happens where uh, in the sense of um Scott has joined the party, right? Yeah, <laughs> and that's going to be relevant. So um, I don't think it's necessarily <laughs> a bad thing that not a lot of like action happens in this one. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. And it's also probably uh, necessary in most longer form stories to have that slower moment after a quick, after a quick pace one. And, and definitely yeah. messing, messing with that pacing is... Um, one of, the, one of the biggest reasons why people are willing to read a longer form story, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, who is the next uh, writer? Yep. So up next is by Jarby Jazz with Book Burnings and Bridge Buildings. Uh, which is a, yeah, it's a fun title. Um, so this is that series of stories about the flesh crafters. We have Eloise, who is that uh, wonderful, like, not understanding of social cues, but very smart um, and knowing technology and magic woman, uh, going into this um, mansion uh, along with uh, the old friend that she uh, recruited last story. Um, and uh, we're in that friend's perspective, but it's a very like sparse one. It's very... Um, uh, distant, and we sort of can kind of understand that maybe it might be because um, the owner of this household is sort of weaving an enchantment on him, um, in which uh, Eloise protests and says uh, and threatens to burn um, a book uh, in case he doesn't stop. And um, so she has come here to trade information for information, tra- trading books and such for. Um, information from this mage monster thing uh, so that she can solve the mystery that's going on. And uh, we end with this refrain that the um, uh, perspective character Parv says, why do I always go along with what Eloise says? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I dig the... Um dialogue in uh, this one it's it's just really tense uh back and forth it seems that both uh parties are unwilling to to budge but there is the these books at at stake here so so there is something being a con a conceited so yeah i i just really liked it and i liked how um we are getting more from uh from uh, eloise um departed from her um partner was which i think is great really 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 able to see her stand uh alone and uh, get to know more about just sort of what her in intent is mm-hmm. um so yeah i think like overall this is a uh, really great uh con, con continuation of a a wider story that is giving us a slightly different per perspective and a different aspect of this world that we haven't really seen previously yeah uh i feel it's like the scope of the world might be changing over time uh because it felt like 
Yester was in in the beginning of the story. It felt like Yester was like uh, flesh crafters and such, but it didn't feel like you know there was uh, magic left and right. Um, and here it feels like it's shifted a little bit. We have this this patchwork uh, wizard thing um, that clearly seems pretty powerful, and Eloise is not like surprised by it, right? Yeah. Um, I did feel that Parv could have had a little bit more of his perspective in the very beginning. Um, uh, I, I thought the description that was going on, the, the thing that Jarvis Jess was going on with uh, Samir, the, the wizard thing, where he was keeping the um, the description very vague for that character was good because that was like a reveal about the Uncanny Valley, the patchwork skin and such. But um, I felt that Parv could have had a little bit more because I, I didn't quite... Um, I felt that his... Uh, perspective was pretty um sparse in the beginning um mostly just narration and the little bit of perspective that we did have i felt like um like the the little bit of his sort of uh indirect dialogue like how did so much lie under the hustle muscle of fall mouth was kind of generic enough that i couldn't really gain any insight on him right mm-hmm. um by the end when we get to the wonderings about um why do I always go along with what Elise, uh, Eloise says? I think I got a better grasp, but um, yeah, just having a little bit more uh, like opinion maybe, or um, just like some more quirks of how a character like thinks into that early narration, I think would have gone a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, just uh, definitely establishing stakes for, for Parv and like the reasons as to why they're there beyond being the eyes for the uh, audience. But overall, a uh, really great entry into this wider series. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the final story that we're covering this week? Yeah, so the final story is by Sentient Pebble. What service? Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Sentient Pebble. We really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we are in the perspective of Anne in this temple of St. Ives, where this priest is sort of giving this uh, this sermon over a um, pile of uh, charred, a, a charred body, right? Um, this uh, old man, Clive, sits down next to her, and they have this dialogue, and we can tell they have this like long-running relationship, um, mostly talking in, in this very like mysterious uh, tones, about how um, the prayer that's going on is the third bloodsucker that they caught today, um, that God is supposed to offer sanctuary to all, but he doesn't. Um, And uh, just a lot of uh, mysterious stuff going on about what this world is, um, the relationships that these two characters have, um, and the... Yeah, the greater conflict is going because the church is just like covered in blood and soldiers have been dying and all sorts of things. Um, so I was, yeah, I was very interested in the, the mysteries that are being set up here. Um, yeah, yeah, really like this, this, uh, story works really well to set up a lot of, uh, mysteries that, um, I would love to see, uh, some, some more from maybe, maybe later on. But I mean, overall, I, I really enjoy these these uh, characters and how they function within um, this wider, slightly fantasy world. Um, these... I did feel that the um, some of the questions. I mean, in the case that you continue writing in this this series, Sentient Pebble, this is not like a important thing. But um, if this was kept very short, 
um even if it like there was only like one other short story to be added i did feel that i could have used a little bit more information of like what the context for this is mm-hmm. um like i wasn't quite sure if the um like dead body that is being prayed over the, the like ashes and um the the black body uh if that was like a, a monstrous person because it seems like uh, Anne and Clive are also kind of monsters themselves. Uh, basically, yeah, there's just a lot of mysteries here, and I felt that if this was a short, um, a very short story or a very short series of stories, that it would want just like a little bit more information on the context for me to to um, have enough for like the normal interpersonal character themes to um, feel satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Like, the stuff between Clive and Anne is, is great. Like, I love their little exchanges and mm-hmm. um, what we can gain uh, on insights about the two. But, um, yeah, just a, I wanted a little bit more information with, for the rest. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, really, that's that's the same thing for, for me. Just a bit more info to give us a really deeper sense of grounding within this world to where we can fully understand what is happening so that we can be be with these these characters um on a wider journey um but overall i i uh really liked it and i think that yeah uh, it's a great submission for this week so thank you very much to sentient pep uh that's right if you want to be like all of these wonderful writers um we you can hear us say thank you to them because i forgot to do that yes so thank you very much to sarah penguin thank you to ghost pac-man 4 thank you matt said words Thank you, Jarby Jazz. Thank you, Cynthia and Pebble. And thank you, Niall Supernum. Mm-hmm. And we would also like to say thank you to everyone who did leave comments. Uh, leaving two or more comments, not only under your own story, but under someone else's, provides uh, them with crucial feedback and also condenses all of your own ideas on your own story for others to see. So, thank you very much to Sarah Penguin, Ghost Pac-Man 4, Jarby Jazz, Niall Supernum, and Matt said worse. Thank you so much for leaving comments. Yeah, there was some really, really great uh, discussion under so many of the stories, which I, um, yeah, very much appreciated. Um, so y'all did really, really great this week. Thanks. Yep. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to Do the Right Thing, you can do that by going on Reddit at slash r slash do the right thing. All you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes and write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words. Uh, that's right. If you want to see the words as soon as they come out, the best place to do that would be to follow us on Twitter at RightThingCast and hit that notification bell um, so you can see the words as soon as they come out, as well as any notifications of things going on. Um, you can also follow all of the other Doof Media uh, Twitter accounts. If you haven't followed the um, main Doof Media Twitter account, the Twitter account that's at Doof Media, um, consider doing so because you can get a lot of uh, cool information. And um, I think we've also been posting like clips from uh, some of the episodes. So if you want to just like get a little teaser of what the episode's about, um, you can do that. Um, and uh, yeah, you can also send us an email at writethinkcast at gmail.com um, if you would like to send us a message of any kind of, uh, of any sort. Mm-hmm, exactly. And if you want to support us and everything else happening in Doof Media, you can do that by donating to the Doof Media Patreon. All you have to do is donate $10 or, or more per month to not only be able to vote in everything upcoming in Doof, but also get access to exclusive bonus content. 
that's right. And of course, there's so much going on at Doof Media. I'm very excited for the episode next week, which is on um, uh, uh, on the Doofcast, which is on um, Doom or D- Doom on Dune? Dune, the movie Dune that came mm, out I'm last seeing that night this, this weekend. Yeah, I, I saw it last night. Actually, it was really really good. Um, okay, I enjoyed it a lot. And I've um, I, I read the book. It compares well to it. I think it's very much makes sense that there should be two parts. I really hope they make the second part. Mm, um, okay. And yeah, I, I thought it was I thought it was well done. Um, yeah. I very much enjoy. It's, it's a very cool movie. Is it is it better well done than the original Dune movie? I'm I haven't seen the original, but I can bet probably. <laughs> Ugh, the, the the original is so good. Kind uh-huh. of not really. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, what's his first name? Something Villeneuve. What's his first name? I don't yes, remember. I don't. Well, anyway, don't that guy. Remember. Yeah. He did, uh, Blade Runner 2049, which is the last thing he did that I, uh, remember watching. Um, mm. and he's, yeah, it's very similar in, in tone and style. I, I do feel like the, like, Blade Runner 2049 has a lot of really obvious, like, themes, uh, both on, like, a sci-fi level, but also the character level. Yeah. Um, and I think Dune is kind of having trouble having as much of that in this, because it's just one half of the story. Yeah. So, like, you know, the character arcs being set up, you don't really see their conclusions, so it's kind of hard to see the entire arc. Um, mm, but on an entertainment level, uh, it's great. It's really great. Okay, I see. Yeah, I mean, granted, Dune is an extremely long um, story, uh, but I think on Thursday when it came out, it grossed 5.1 mil, um, which is really, really good. I don't know how much they they spent on is it. it? But, I mean, 5.1 mil. I don't know what their but uh, what their budget was, but it's pretty decent. I don't. Um, I don't know. I like. I don't know. I'm just used to like Marvel numbers, which is like the 300 million well, yeah. in a day or whatever. So yeah. But uh, I think if it does keep up, hopefully we will get a sequel because I think um, telling the whole story of Dune is the only way to tell it. Hence why the old Dune movie was like three hours long. Yeah. Um. Apparently the movie cost 165 million dollars. So okay. Oof. Oof. Well, granted, that's five five mil in one day. <laughs> yeah, it and says. It, and it wasn't so far, even. It wasn't even the weekend too. I think I that's think true. This, that's uh, true. This weekend is definitely going to um, de- uh, determine its standings. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We'll see. Well, in that case, uh, go watch it. Um, mm-hmm. It was good. I liked it, and yeah. I would really it's like the sequel HBO. to happen. And it will probably it will be more likely to happen if y'all go see it. Mm-hmm. I say you should go see it in the theater, in my opinion. Um, we have an Alamo draft house around us, and that, that's pretty enjoyable. So mm, Yeah, you can, can get food, get some uh, Parmesan pop popcorn, and watch all these people get addicted to spice. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's all we have for y'all this week. <laughs> Let's um, announce uh, next week's words. Just to, to remind uh, one, we have the... Um, the the theme for this month one last week all is not what it seems but also this next week is the week of halloween so um i think this is a great opportunity if you haven't already already written a horror story um or some other kind of scary story uh try giving it a go maybe um i think this is the perfect opportunity um or something reflecting upon the themes of halloween um 
But okay, what are the words this week, Jarvis? So the words for this week are insist, visible, stall, and rose. Um, which I think is a fun set of words. Um, so insist is to um, uh, pressure someone to accept the point, I think, or, or mm-hmm. pressure to, yeah. to do that. It's a heavy-handed um, re- request. Yes, I insist upon an audience. I'm not going to stop bothering you until you give me the the audience. Or uh, I insist that um, my meal be remade right now, this moment. Yes, someone mm-hmm. can be is- insistent on something. Mm-hmm. That's yep. That's the word. Yep. <laughs> this one is uh, visible, which is um, a property of being able to be seen. Mm-hmm. Something could be invisible, which you can. You can use the word invisible if you would like, which means yeah. you can't see it. Someone can be visibly disturbed. That's right. Um, uh, the, there's a visible light spectrum, which is the light that you can, that is visible. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, something could be indivisible, mm. which is not the it same word. Uh, yeah, which means it cannot be divided. I don't know what visible means, actually. What, uh... In in like like the root, no like yeah. What does the what does the root or whatever of visible mean in the word indivisible? Oh um hmm hmm. I think it's because indivisible means something that is similar to something else, probably um, to where it's almost i identical. And I think it is used based off of what someone's view of it is, what they see, how um, um, how if you take water and um, coffee and you pour that in to the same cup, it is indivisible where the coffee begins and the water ends. You cannot see where the coffee begins and the water ends. Mm-hmm sure i don't know yeah yeah maybe yeah maybe visible is like um you can see it if it's not divisible that means that like there aren't disparate parts i guess Mm -hmm. if it is divisible you can tell one thing from another maybe i don't know we're speculating here yeah uh if you want to send us the true the the true meaning you can send us an email at writethinkcast.gmail.com and uh (laughs) we'll shout you out and explain to people on the podcast that you helped us um the next word uh, stall, stall. Um, which I think is a really fun one, especially for a spooky story. So oh, yeah. um, you have uh, so stall is a there's a noun which is a um, sort of a cubicle, a, a an area set aside. Um, so like bathroom stall, a shower stall. Um, those are the locations I can think of. You also have um, farm stalls. I don't know exactly what the term is, but basically like each a half room that an animal gets basically mm-hmm. on a farm um yeah you can stall stall is like being held in a certain state uh yeah or maybe like like a section basically yeah yeah so um, like a like, car, so like when a car stalls it it is being held in a position when it cannot fire up it cannot start yeah, I do wonder what the full-on connection between the noun and the verb is. Like, I was thinking of you can pay something in installments. Something can be installed. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, those are all other ways you could take it. But yes, stalling for time would be the other uh, primary way or a car stalling, right? Yeah. It's what we uh, do. Which is to like, <laughs> I don't, I don't stall for time. <laughs> I just like fumble around to get to my point. It just, yeah, it takes, takes a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah, stalling as in like uh, taking extra time so that uh, you have more time, basically taking up the space, doing something to distract um, until you are ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final word, uh, rose, uh, which is the uh, sweet smelling flower. Yeah, um, it's, the, uh, it's the red one. The red one. <laughs> Uh, which has connotations of love. Uh, they also have thorns, which people play around mm-hmm. with that. Each yeah. color of a rose actually has like a different meaning. Most of them are artificial or um, unreal. I don't know if blue roses were ever grown, but they do have like yellow roses and such. Um, yeah. A rose by any name sounds would smell, sweet. Would smell as sweet, yes. Would smell as sweet. Um and yeah there's a lot of connotations and things that you can work with that it's something to be rose colored rose colored cheeks um yeah so jarvis and what is the extremely short surprisingly short shockingly short story that you're gonna write next week uh mine will be a fan fiction on the invisible man if um with his powers to turn uh in invisible Instead of turning into a killer for some reason, he instead turns into a to- into into a talk show host, where where he where he has on people and, and he and he and he talks through them about their problems and he insists to all of them that there is a path to get better. Um, and at the end of each season, this show is actually fairly fairly uh, fairly popular. Um, towards towards the end of of the app, when he's stalling for for time, he would uh, normally call out previous guests and you know see how 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 they are doing now, and he will give them them all uh, their their own rose that he has also made invisible. <laughs> That's amazing! What a kind fellow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, even though you can't see him, his heart is very real. um okay uh well my story is about a um whimsical place where they um raise roses they don't grow roses they raise them they keep them in stalls Mm. uh where the roses are um all feed on corn and hay and they grow big and strong um because the farmer insists that they that they get all of the stuff that they need um which means that a lot of blood is spilled onto them. Oh. That's where they get their red, right? Oh, no. um, and they are really hungry roses. And um, uh, when someone visits, it's really scary because the farmer is not visible, but the blood of the and the roses is. And then and then you get eaten by a rose. Mm. Yum yum. Feed me, they, Seymour. Exactly. It's because it's kind of like a mouth a little bit. But also like another kind of orifice as well. Mm, um, yes. <laughs> thank you for making <laughs> that noise. Um, yeah. So uh, do do the right thing and <laughs> and um, and roses are red, uh, violets violets are blue. blue. Do the right thing. You, and we'll see you. You and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.
Bye.